We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, that's where we will be. And our text will be from verse 18 down to verse 30. In my 54 years of walking in the Lord and reading the Bible every year, you know the stories, but you also realize that the Holy Spirit breathes upon his word and um, makes it come alive. How else can you describe it? All of a sudden, there's a freshness. All of a sudden, there's a particular part that somehow you overlooked before, and now it just stands out to you. And so recently, I, I asked the Lord, I said, you know, I, I've read the gospel so much. Would you just do a work in me so that when I read, uh, let's start with the gospel of Luke. When I read the gospel of Luke, it's as if I hadn't read it before, and, and that it's fresh again. And then I'm not just, oh, yes, I remember this, I remember this. But, and so I left it up to him on how to do that, and, and it all started with chapter 1. And the whole thing, the first four verses, and I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm going, you know, Luke, where did he get all this eyewitness account? Where did he, he says, I have perfect understanding of all things from the very first. That's a pretty bold statement. And so how, and so your mind starts going, and then you start going through the, the scripture, and I found out that Luke had joined Paul permanently on the, at the end of his third missionary journey and was with Paul until the end of his life. Because in 2 Timothy, when everybody had forsaken Paul, he says, only Luke is with me. And how compassionate of God to bring along a physician to care for his bodily ails. And when you read 2 Corinthians 11 in his list of all that he went through and the physical uh, beatings, uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Now, this is a big, this is a pole that is designed to have major impact on your back you had to have cracked ribs. You had to have cracked vertebrae because, I mean, his body was black and blue. Um, he's, and, and there was that incident there at the end or in the middle of the first missionary journey where they threw stones at him and it knocked him out. Now, you don't knock somebody out by throwing a stone, stone on their leg or on their foot, but on their head. And so what, what did he look like when he stood up as if from the dead and then he went back into the city of all things? I mean, his, his bodily presence indeed was weak. And, and for the Lord to allow this physician to be his traveling companion. By the way, Luke was in the storm in Acts 27, and he was hanging on to a board as well. But he doesn't focus on him. And, and just, it just opened up a whole appreciation for Luke. 
And, and so I started paying attention to this detail that he puts in here about Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then, of course, Mary, and all the detail, and, and, and only Luke includes those things. And because Luke was with Paul, when Paul went back to Jerusalem and got arrested and then ended up two years on the coast in Caesarea, what was Luke doing? I, I think he went around and did personal interviews. How else could he get this detail from Mary? And Mary would know the detail about Elizabeth and Zacharias, John the Baptist's parents, because they were gone by this time, by the time he writes us, of course. And so there's this is fascinating appreciation that came to my heart for Luke. And so his just going through was just a great adventure. And I came to this section in chapter 7 about John the Baptist being in prison and him sending two of his disciples to Jesus and asking this random question, are you the one, are you the one who's coming or do we look for another? Which just seems like a random thing to ask because of all that he'd been through and all that God had done with him. So this morning, what I want to do is examine John the Baptist's history all the way up to this point in our text. Because we need to cover a little background to get some perspective. How can you have a season of doubt after the Lord has used you so greatly? Well, John did. And the second question is, how, does, how did Jesus deal with this? Because how he dealt with it is the same way he deals with us in our seasons of doubt, even after we've been used sometimes greatly before, and we were so confident and assured. And so uh, this just ministered so much to me because I've had seasons of doubt. I mean, sometimes you can be so like on on the bark, Lord, you're you're it. And then when things collapse and you're in free fall and you're pulling the parachute cord and the cord comes off and you're still falling, you're thinking, where are you, God? What's going on? And, and he can take that because he already knows what we're going to go through. But Deuteronomy 33 says, underneath are the everlasting arms. He's our parachute, not our self-made plans that we pull the cord and the cord just stays in our hand and, and you know, we're still in free fall. So we're going to examine this and we're going to get some counsel, I think, from this section from, the, from Jesus himself. And so follow along with me as I read uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 30. I want to read the whole thing because I, I want to be sure that we catch the context while we do some background before we jump into this. Luke, it's a long introduction, I know, so I just failed my uh, Bible college class on that, but, but never mind, you know, we're, we're in this together. Verse 18, Luke chapter 7. 
Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, the things Jesus was doing all over the land. And John called two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? At that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So, Lord God, we're asking that you would breathe upon our text and reason with us this morning. We thank you that you are a God of truth, and you are God of who is consistent generation after generation, even to today and even past today. So minister to us this morning. Speak to us, Lord, regarding the secret things in our own life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's consider, first of all, John's life up to this point in our text. And we have to start, of course, with Luke chapter 1. And so uh, I'm going to give you a brief rundown of John's life up to this point. We know from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, that John's birth was miraculous. As you read the story, his father and mother were very old, yet they had never given up on the idea of having their own son. And in that late season of their life, the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah, Um, who was a priest who was offering incense in the temple during the morning sacrifice in the holy place. And so the angel Gabriel proclaimed that Zachariah's prayers had been heard. And that's an important point because it seems that Zachariah and Elizabeth, even though they were too old to have children, somehow they said, you know, Lord, uh, we've always somehow wanted a son. And then the angel Gabriel proclaimed to him that 
His prayers had been heard, and Elizabeth and him would indeed have a son. And they were to name him John, which means Jehovah is gracious. Now, some of you are named John here, right? Over here, Jehovah is gracious. So that's, that's your message. But it, it, it would be a miracle, but it wouldn't be an immaculate conception that would be, be happening with Mary, of course. But indeed, it was a miracle. And sure enough, Elizabeth conceived and bore a son in her old age, and John's mission and calling were to be of divine origin even from before he was born, because in Elizabeth's womb, around 26 weeks, Mary shows up, and the Holy Spirit uh, comes upon uh, John in the womb, and also Elizabeth, and I mean, we're talking about the baby didn't just move. He did a hallelujah dance in the womb. So I'm not sure what that looked like on the outside, but, but it was a moving experience, okay? And there was an anointing right there, even from the womb. And so as you read in chapter 1, you find that John was six months older than Jesus because Mary had the Holy Spirit come upon her, and then immediately she went to Elizabeth's place in, in the wilderness of Judea, who was called her relative. And think of it that when it came time, and, and she was there for three months with Elizabeth, and so Mary came back to Nazareth three months pregnant. And nobody's thinking, you know, that must be of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, nobody's thinking that in Nazareth. They're thinking the worst. But now John is born there in the wilderness of Judea to his, to his mother and father. And John was to be a Nazarite, like is spoken of in number six, not eating anything from the grapevine nor anything defiling, and he was to let his hair grow uncut. So he, he looked like uh, um, he ended up, uh, you know, growing up, cared for by Zacharias and Elizabeth. But for how long? Because they were very old when he was born in this miraculous birth. And uh, in, in thinking it through, John must have been at least coming into his 20s when his parents were no longer there. And so he was on his own. And they poured into him uh, the truth of the, of the hope for Israel, the truth of the Messiah, the truth of his calling, all that they could and you know, as parents, you do all you can when you have your kids. But you have to understand, God has a plan for them that he hasn't told you about. And so, but it is God's will that they're in your family. And God's calling on you has something to do with God's calling on them. Because he's not the author of confusion. He knows what's going on. 
And so, for John, his parents died when he was young, you might say. When he was a teenager, maybe in his late teens. And he was on his own. And I know that there's this idea that he went and joined the Essenes, but there's no biblical reference to that. And there's no actual historical document that proves that he was there. Although his message and his manner of life does line up with many of the things that that uh, Jewish sect uh, did believe in and focus on. But then you come to John chapter 1. And you see now John is there baptizing in the the stream that comes into the Jordan River on the east side of the Jordan River, just north of the Dead Sea. He feels called to, this is what God has called him to do. He looks like the prophet Elijah. Um, His hair had never been cut. And I mean, there's some argument on, does your hair stop growing after a while? Well, I'm not sure. Um, I, I used to have long hair, but now I don't have any hair, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, um, but he had, everything was rough in his life. His, he had camel's hair for a covering, a leather belt around him, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And so, but he never did a miracle. But the, but the spirit and calling of Elijah was upon John, yet he never did a miracle. It's amazing. Because God had a specific calling for him to do. And when it came time for the Messiah to be revealed, John was an important component. Because Jesus comes, and at age 30, he comes down from Nazareth, to the place of John's baptizing. And as you read carefully in John chapter 1, you find that John speaks of Jesus in the past tense because he'd already seen him. When Jesus comes to John in John chapter 1, he'd already been through the wilderness experience for 40 days. And now he's coming back. And John is talking about Jesus from the testimony that he saw 40 days earlier, when he saw the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus as he was baptized in water, and he came up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him as in the form of a dove. And John says, and this is he, because he that sent me to baptize said, when you see this happen, this is he. And so I'm testifying that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. I mean, he's, he's spot on. He's, he's doing it right. And then in chapter 3, again, all this is important to lead up to this, verse 18. In John chapter 3, John makes statements about his own ministry that he's real clear about. First of all, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. This is why I have been sent. The bridegroom has appeared, and I have done what God has sent me to do. And yet, even though you know you're fulfilling your calling, sometimes what happens to you, you wonder, why did God allow that? 
what, what, what does this have to do? Because we find that, that when, when Herod the king went and married his brother-in-law's wife, his brother's wife, uh, this was her sister-in-law, his sister-in-law, and he married her, and, and John spoke out against it because he's in the area that was still in Herod's jurisdiction. And so there was a, possibly a concern of John stirring up a rebellion, um, coming against Herod, how dare you come against the king, and they arrested him and threw him in prison. How does being in prison line up with being the one who ushers in and points to the Messiah? So, we don't know how long John was in prison by this time. But it's one thing to say, oh yes, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And, and you must increase and I must decrease. But when it actually happens, and then the bottom falls out of your life and there's no answers, sometimes you start questioning things. And God understands that. And I want you to note now, as we go into this section, how Jesus talked about John. There was no condemnation on John. As a matter of fact, there was full-on praise. Even though John had doubts after being used so greatly. I think this shows the heart of our Lord Jesus. Like, like you were talking about, Katie, on how God deals with us when, when we have our moments. So let's jump into this here. Verse 18 again. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. All the things that they were watching Jesus do and every, all the crowds going to them. And, and nobody, very few were coming to them to get baptized. Now they were all, Jesus' disciples were doing more baptizing than John's disciples. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And so... It has to be understood that what was drawn upon as proofs of the Messiah in Jesus' day were all the things that Jesus was doing. But included in that package was one phrase, delivering the captives from prison. And you will notice that when Jesus talked to them, he did not include that phrase. And John was in prison. And I, and I think that's an important omission that Jesus left out on purpose because of God's calling in John's life to be a martyr. No, I mean, the words that Jesus said about John never were spoken to John's disciples to carry back to John. And you go, well, why didn't he do that? Wouldn't that have encouraged John? Yeah, but in God's plan for John's life, that would have, that would have not been what he needed to focus on. So we'll talk about that here. Their understanding of what the Messiah was to come to do, heal the sick, raise the dead, um, open the eyes of the blind, open the ears of the deaf, preach the gospel. 
and then delivering the captives from prison. And, and that part was not being done. And Jesus wasn't speaking out against the Romans to, to stir up a rebel rousing. Like you're going to, because that was the belief of the Jews. The Messiah is coming and crushing the oppression that we've been living under and set up the kingdom to Israel. Even the disciples, after Jesus rose from the dead before he ascended, are you going to set up the kingdom of Israel now? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father put in his own power. But you're going to receive a power and authority when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in a few days. So here is John in prison, remembering the days where he saw the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus, and, and that was the affirming mark. And then pointing people, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then saying to those that came to him, I'm not the Messiah. He is. He must increase. I must decrease. The bridegroom has come. Therefore, my joy is fulfilled. And all of a sudden, he starts going back into the shadows. And now he's in prison without any hope of being delivered. Oh, now, where's, okay, the Messiah is supposed to open the doors of the prisoners. Where's that? Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? From our vantage point, we can tend to be uh, maybe critical of John, but, but there are times when we, as believers in Jesus, have come to points where we start doubting God's faithfulness, God's plan, and God's love because we look at the circumstances around us and make judgments about how God is. And unfortunately, those kinds of circumstances are not the way we, we prove God. We're to, I want you to look clearly in verse 22. It says, After that very hour, Jesus said to them, go and tell John the things which you have seen and heard. Stop right there. That is what Jesus gave to John to help him in his doubts. Think back on how, think back on all the things God has shown you. Think back on all the ways God has revealed his hand to you. All the times he stepped in and rescued you. All the times that, that what seemed like coincidence were really his fingerprint. When you have a season of doubt, I think that's the Lord's remedy, is go back and remember his faithfulness and get your eyes off of what's not happening like you expected. We, we like our plans. Our plans make sense to us. Um, as a spouse, we're waiting for our spouse to come to agreement to the plan that we have because it makes so much sense to us. And so then many times we subtly bring to God our plan because it's, it's God bless this. It's so obvious, God. It must be you that I came up with this. 
and then nothing happens. And a matter of fact, it absolutely collapses. And we think, how come you did that? How come you allowed that? that? That's not fair. I mean, we're like a little kid who doesn't get what he wants to for dinner. Why did you do that? that? You know, that's not fair. And I'm just, okay, I'm just not going to, <laughs> you know, and we throw a tantrum. Well, God can handle tantrums. My son, oh my gosh, um, my youngest son, his kids, uh, you know, when they went into the market, they would start, I mean, the, the deadly aisle was the candy aisle. And so, and so when the kids would just get spun out of control, he made them, he says, okay, I want you to sit on the floor at the first part of this aisle, and you, I want you to sit on the other side, in the next aisle, on the floor, and I'll be around to pick you up. And so you have to sit there until I finish what I'm shopping for in this aisle, and I come around and pick you up. And then you can come in, but you need to go to the next one then. Because because they were just doing this. I'm not sure if that's wrong, but that's what he did, because he just is at the end of himself. Why is it we hold to our plan so tightly that we get offended at God for not agreeing or not coming through? We're not saying, we're saying, you didn't even ask my permission. And here's what you allowed. Here's what you allowed to happen. That's not fair. I mean, I should have known. I asked you to do this, and you didn't do it. And a lot of people at that point get offended at Jesus for not doing what they think is smart and reasonable. And they, many of them turn their back. I've spoken over the years to so many who have turned their back on God because God didn't heal their child like they demanded him to do. And they walked away. But you know, Jesus said in verse 23, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Can we let the Lord Jesus do whatever he wants to do in our life, around our life, trusting his plan will bring him the glory that he has determined. When I think of the believers in prison around the world being tortured for their faith to try to give up names of other brethren, that uh, they're tr- especially the leaders that they're trying to find and they're trying to crush this movement, where's the blessing? Where's the comfort? Where's the convenience? Where are you, Jesus? I thought you delivered the captives from prison. Well, the greatest captivity is captivity to sin. And that's what he came to be faithful to do, to deliver us from the captivity of sin. And yet, we don't understand all that, all the purposes of God, all the reasons of God, why he allows certain things, 
why he uses certain things, and then why he sometimes stops, stops and doesn't and just blocks and protects. And, and our mind is like, we're, we're, I don't know how to figure this out. And that's when you have to say, blessed is he who is not offended because of Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we're so glad that the burden of sin is gone that we say to him, anytime, any place, anywhere, anyhow, use me to your glory by life or by death. And it sounds so great. But the small print is, okay, I will. And then you, then you go, well, wait a minute, don't, shouldn't you like run these things by me? <laughs> well, that's not what you signed off on. You, didn't, you signed off on it. You know, that's, that's called major power of attorney when, when you surrender your life to Christ, right? <laughs> is God good all the time? And when we get to heaven, we will see all the connections, although we won't see them all here. I don't know why my co-laborers, some of them have, have died an early death. I know what happened to their life, and I know how God used them. And I don't know why I'm still here, other than it's God's business. I was telling my, my, my brother Rob here that uh, I started complaining about that my age. I'm 72 now. And I started complaining one time in a message about my age. And then on the next day, uh, the Lord and I were just having a, a chat. And he goes, look, Bob, it's, it's none of your business how old I want you to be here. It's my business. If I want you to be here until you're 125, it's my business. Oh, please, no. No. <laughs> really? Yeah, I guess you're good, but eh, that's a little rough. <laughs> he says, but you see, it's my business that I want to use you until the number of your days is fulfilled, what I've determined beforehand. Can you be okay with that? Can you just stop complaining? You're focusing on, oh, you look like your dad when you stare in the mirror. You know, can you just stop it? <laughs> and can you just say, Lord, just use me until my last breath. However that's going to be, uh, let my latter years be more fruitful than my former years, whatever that looks like. And just rest in that. So here's John. In prison, horrible conditions. This is not Club Med. This is terrible. Suffering. I don't think there's any locusts. Maybe other things. No wild honey, for sure. What's God doing? Well, where are you, Messiah? And then Jesus said, go back and tell John the things that you've been watching and tell him, blessed is he that's not offended because of me because I don't do things like you think maybe you're expecting. And then, verse 24, 
When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. I want you to notice that no greater praise was given to any human being than what Jesus says right here. This is God incarnate giving this high praise to John. Sometimes our questions about what God is doing has to do with us walking by faith and not by sight. We want the affirmation, but the affirmation has already been given to us and we have to remember what he's already said and done in our life. But when we cross over on the other side, through that curtain of death, there's going to be his face that we will see and his words that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Be thou ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You, I mean, we, we're going to find out all that he was doing. And that glory is going to make us take the crowns that we've been given and cast them at, at, at his feet going, you are worthy, not me. I mean, you, you called me. You boxed me in. You gave me faith by, by which to believe. You gave me the plan. You gave me the, the Holy Spirit and the power. You sustained me. And you, you brought me to yourself and you give me a crown. And this, this is all you. That's why the 24 elders are throwing their crowns there in, in Revelation. Because thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. Uh, for, for uh, uh, I mean, I have to keep that in focus. It's not about me. It's about him. Because all that's going to matter when we get to heaven is how has my life brought you glory? It's not my net worth. It's not how much I gave to things. That's not how much I did. But it has to do with how has my life brought you glory? That's all that's going to matter. I'd like to point out a couple scriptures as we're coming to a close here. The scriptures that they were looking to to as proofs for the Messiah. Um, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3 The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. That's the word Mashiach in Hebrew, anointed, Messiah. To preach the good tidings to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The other section, another section, is in Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 6. Strengthen the weak hands, Make firm the feeble knees. 
Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Submission to the overall will of God in our life is called meekness, yieldedness, and humility. When I don't understand what God is doing, and he's not giving me answers, that's when I have to go back and trust him that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I have to let go of my demands and my expectations and my sense of reasonableness. And I have to surrender. That's called submission. It's easy to say, not my will, but yours be done. But to live it out um, comes with brokenness. You know what brokenness is? Brokenness is where You're at the end of your rope. Nothing makes sense. Your hope is crushed. And you don't know what to do. And there's no answers. And it's hard to lift up your face to the Lord during that because you feel like, why should you even bother with a a dirt clod like me? And that brokenness is important to him because that's where everything starts. I don't like brokenness, but I need brokenness because it deepens my faith when I've got nothing else. And I've been through, my wife and I have been through seasons of brokenness. And I want to tell you, there something changes in you when you go through a season of brokenness and you come out of it on the other end. You see the world a little differently. And you see God a little more deeply. Jesus had no condemnation of John during his season of doubt. There is absolutely no condemnation. In verse 28, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But John is on the Old Testament side because Jesus would come and die and rise again, and those who would believe on him would be in the new covenant And that's why he says, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, because the prophets of old looked forward to that day. As Peter writes um, in 1 Peter 1.10, of this salvation, the prophets who have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching 
what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. But now here we are under the new covenant in the blood of Jesus when we believe on Jesus as our our Savior. We're in a much greater position. And I believe that no matter how badly we feel about what's happened in our life, Jesus is not going to crush us. He is not going to cast us off. And the final scripture I want to bring to you is Matthew 12, verses 18 through 21. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Not a rebel rouser. A bruised reed he will not break. When you're going through brokenness, you feel like a bruised reed that's just bent over and ready to just collapse. He will not break a bruised reed. Secondly, and smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. We can remember days when we were so on fire for God. But now maybe you're in a season of your life where it seems like somebody blew out the candle. And all there is is just this little trail of smoke off of that burning tip of the wick. How does Jesus see you? Is he disgusted? No. He, he wants to fan you back into a flame. He's not interested in quenching you out. You little rat. Psst, you know, that's, that's not him. He wants to fan you into a flame. Let's get you back to where you started. Come on. It's you and me. We can do this. That's how our God is. And some of you... Very possibly, maybe some of you that are watching online, you just feel like you've let the Lord down so many times. Why should he even bother again? I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't have done those things by this many years walking in the Lord. And that's when you need to hear the heart of Jesus saying, I don't want to cast you off. I just want you closer to me because that's the life you need and that's the life you really want. So let's do, let's get up off the dirt and let's, let's brush yourself off. Let's, let's, let's get in this race again. I'm with you. Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father God, we thank you for our time in your word today and for these thoughts. And we're asking, Lord, that you would use these things to reason with us because we know we will have future seasons of doubt. We're just all on the workbench, it seems. 
We are your workmanship for your glory. We ask God for those that are downhearted this morning that you would breathe on them and fill them again with the Holy Spirit and bring to them the the memories of how you worked in their life. And give them the gift of faith, Lord, for new, fresh adventures of faith in you. And God, help us to keep that verse in mind. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So we trust you with our lives, Lord. Do things your way, please. Help us just trust. In Jesus' name, amen.